My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 12 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. If things have been feeling a bit tough and frustrating over the last week or so, put it all aside for the next hour and get ready for some positive, uplifting trail and mountain running chat from the team here at Trail Running Ireland. Simon is up first with lots of positive news about the racing calendar. Rene talks to us about a key part of training to help rejuvenate the body and keep you running for decades and not just months or years. And finally, fresh from his appearance on Liveline, we've got the fantastic Gavin Byrne, Wicklow Round record holder and winner of the recent Kerryway Ultra. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. everybody good to have you tuning in again hope you're all keeping well and before we kick off the show with our man on the ground simon kelly with the latest race results and how our racing calendar is looking a reminder that we are on the lookout for a show sponsor to help keep us going over the autumn and winter months we've got a great loyal listener base who show super support to the show every week and over 5,300 followers on our social media channels so if you would like to see your event your product or even your company get some super exposure to the trail and mountain running community in Ireland, don't hesitate to get in touch. Rene is coming up shortly as well with one of his best training advice talks yet. But before we talk to Rene, let's dial in our man on the ground, Simon Kelly, from the Waterfall Trail Running Festival. Simon, how's it going? How's things after the Kerry Wild were there two weeks ago? It was a great weekend, as we know, and has everything settled down since? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit quieter. Schools have gone back, and uh, as always, and the schools go back and kids go inside the classroom, it's lovely and sunny today. <laughs> so hopefully you'll get out for a run on the trails uh, as soon as we finish recording here Simon but Simon I don't think there's been many races since the Kerry Wild Ultra two weeks ago so I know you wanted to catch up on a couple of fantastic performances on the Wicklow round absolutely yeah um, so very little racing as you say but there's still people out in the hills on the trails and the Wicklow round perfect opportunity to social distance you're running on your own and you can't take any assistance unless you're crossing a road so Derek Kiley went out and took it on on the 1st of August and put in a really really tough shift 21 hours 56 minutes and 51 seconds a really good result and congratulations to Derek. I know Derek from coming down and running and Kerry himself as well. Lovely guy and a real club man. So he had huge support there. Um, but not sitting on his laurels, Andre Van Barneveld, who Imra will know very well, any, any Imra runners. He's always active in the racing and he's a huge man for support and volunteering. And on the 9th of August, he took it on. And he went 21 hours, 51 minutes and 27 seconds. So some serious fast times there. And then, not to be outdone, Luke Rafferty on the 10th of September took on the challenge. Luke really, really pushed. It was a massive, massive challenge and achievement for him. Came in in 23 hours, 29 minutes and 22 seconds. So just getting in under the 24. And I mean, anyone who gets there 
around the 23 hour mark, I can only imagine the last few kilometers when the legs are screaming and you're looking at that cut off in that 24 hours, it must be something else. Yeah, well, Simon, you'll be delighted to hear that coming up on the show later on, we've got the Wicklow Round record holder. Gavin Byrne is coming up. Gavin Byrne is going to be with us for about 35, 40 minutes or so later on. And Gavin, of course, has the record with 15 hours and four minutes and about 30 seconds, I think. And for such a long time, people, the thoughts of breaking 17 hours was unthinkable. But Gavin came along and nearly smashed 15, 15 minutes so far. Um, so it, it's a wonderful event. It's a wonderful idea. And as you said, it's great to see all these people challenging it, getting through it. And I wonder maybe in, in this year, the rest of 2020 or in 2021, will Gavin or anybody else try and break the magical 15 hour barrier? Um, what else has been going on? Simon, anything else of note? Anything else of interest? Well, there's lots coming up. It's good to see that racing is being scheduled optimistically, responsibly. It's it's very different, obviously, keeping distance and making sure they're safe. So IMRA have, you know, quite a robust calendar. So they have the Morris Mullen half coming up on Saturday the 19th, which, as we record, is tomorrow. Um, we have the Knockmill Downs coming up on Saturday the 19th also. The Morris Mullen Ultra is scheduled for the 26th of September with a slight course adjustment just to bring it outside of the Dublin catchment area. So that's a 51k ultra on trail and it's on sections of the Wicklow Way as well. And then the Galty Half Marathon is on Saturday 3rd of October and Mount Leinster on Sunday the 4th of October. Now Mount Leinster is a 13.8km race and it's a very, very popular one. And then the final one that is, I suppose, a real big feather race is the Wicklow Glacier Lake Solo. That's scheduled for Saturday the 10th of October. It is 42.7k on really challenging terrain. And they are saying at the moment it's going ahead. They're still working on a couple of things. But IMRA and the committee there are pushing really hard to make sure that races are available to people. Super. Well, as we saw two weeks ago down in Kerry, they were able to do it in a safe way. Thankfully, there's been no reports of any positive tests or any clusters coming from the race. You know, fingers crossed it stays like that. So hopefully, over the next couple of weeks, Simon, people will be able to race um, responsibly, safely, and enjoy the races that are coming up. Um, I know, Simon, as well, that you're in touch with the Dublin Mountain Running Championships um, organisers, that they've um, put together a great event for November. Absolutely. They have the Dublin Mountain Trail Running Festival. It's Friday the 27th and Saturday the 28th of November, starting in Glencullen. And they have a 10K race, a 25K race, a 50K race and a 100K race. The majority of them take place on a 25km looped course. And fantastic news for them is it's sold out in two and a half weeks. So you cannot get in You cannot get a place. It's absolutely sold out. This is their first edition, and it's just fantastic to see such support and such a number of people getting out in the hills and getting out and racing. 
Brilliant. Yeah, well, so isn't that what we were hoping for, Simon, when we first started the podcast, that that we'd see numbers increasing, that we'd see new events coming on board and more and more people out on the mountains, out on the trails, all around Dublin, Wicklow, all around the country. So to see a brand new event like that um, being well organised and sold out so quickly, it's brilliant to see, isn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, the Dublin Mountain Trail Running Festival, it's put on by the Dublin Mountain Trail Running Club. Now, when you look at the names there, the likes of John Boyle, I think he's a nine-time finisher of the Kerryway Ultra. You've got Noel Ward, a four-time finisher of the Kerryway Ultra. So while it is a new club, there is a hell of a lot of experience and tradition there that's carried into it. And it's no surprise that those numbers are growing. The guys know what they're doing. They're fantastic at morale boosting. Noel himself is a sports psychologist. So it really, really makes for a fantastic group and a really strong group of people there. Brilliant. Fantastic. And so you never know. So we'll try and maybe get them onto the podcast Simon, as well and uh, get to learn all about their club and the fantastic festival that they've organised as well for November Super. Anything else around Ireland, Simon, before we touch on international news? Not that there's much going on internationally racing wise, but anything else that you wanted to mention? Sure, there's a couple of things up in the Morns. Um, so the first I'll touch on is the Morn Skyline Mountain Trail Race. So traditional t- trail race, mountainous conditions. It is tough. There's a lot of elevation, 35K, and that's on Saturday the 17th of October. And another one that um, I'm unfamiliar with, but uh, it's, and it's maybe outside of the pure trail and mountain running, is the Morn Mountain Marathon. Now, it's a very misleading name. It's certainly not 26K, It's actually a two-day event for teams of two people, and it looks like a hybrid between adventure racing and trail racing. So they have an elite class, which is 55K in two days. It's got 2,700 meters of elevation. The average five to nine hours active per day. They have a a series of controls they have to pick up. And then you have a one-day event, which they call their scoring class, which is a more traditional style race. Six hours in one day. However, there's no fixed course. You get a map of the controls and you need to pick up as many controls you can in six hours. Clock starts as soon as you start running. So some really interesting and different style of racing there. And I I hadn't been aware of it. And I found out it's in its 41st edition. So it's 41 years old. So I must have been hiding under a rock on this one. Well, Simon, I'm only just about a half an hour back in for my run, and um, listening to all these races that are going on, I feel like going out for another run. I've been inspired here with all the events that are on the calendar. You know, with so much bad news this week with COVID-19 and levels and restrictions and so on, isn't it brilliant to be talking about events? that touch wood are still on the calendar and hopefully they'll stay there. Internationally, Simon, there hasn't been much really going on since our last podcast. Maybe just one race that I wanted to tell the listeners about. A big one in the north of Spain, in the Pyrenees, where you had all the best Spanish runners out competing, called the Canfranc Canfranc race, um, in the heart of the Pyrenees, just to the north of Huesca. And you had a lot of the Spanish um, international elite trail runners there for example Luis Alberto Hernando the multiple time trail running world and um, championship winner in his mid 40s he was still up there in the, with the very best of them he was second on the day to another Spanish elite mountain runner Antonio Martinez and um, in some of the other races that had a short one the 
10K where Luis and Antonio competed in and won. Then you had a French runner, Thibaut Barignon, um, who has had a couple of fantastic trail running wins right across Europe over the last couple of years. He won in the marathon edition. Oaina Cortassar, and she was the female winner. And in the 75K, Hordi Gamito, who was on the podium in the Ultra Trail World Tour, he picked up the win there, along with Silvia Trigueros in the 75k. So that was great to see in Spain, um, all the best Spanish runners out competing. Now, they did do it in a slightly different different way. Um, what they did, Simon, there was that they had runners starting every 30 seconds. So rather than waves, they kind of did it like a Tour de France time trial situation where every 30 seconds they let the runners go off. So it worked for them. So that's maybe another idea for any Irish um, race organizers listening in to, to model it off the Tour de France, which I'm sure people are enjoying watching over the last couple of weeks as well. So I mean, one thing that I wanted to mention as well was that you, of course, yourself, you're a trail event organizer. You've got the fantastic Waterfall Trail Running Festival in May. And I saw this week that you opened up registration for next year. As an event organizer, Simon, how are you feeling now? You, you pushed on, you opened up race entries for next year, but I'm sure you still have a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty in your own head. Oh, no, I'd be lying if I didn't say I have a concern. Um, but at the moment, things are trending in the right place. The right direction. Numbers are going down. There is some racing happening. And to be honest, I'm not sure about anyone else. But come autumn, winter is when I start looking at the next year and seeing what running is there, what festivals are on, what races are on, and start to put together my calendar. And also with the deferral of the 2020 edition, I already have quite a lot of runners who are registered for 2021. So I'm mindful to give them that lead in time, give them that assurance that the festival is going ahead. Also to tie up in the details and get a bit of the, the kind of back end work done on it. But um, I'm very optimistic. It, it will probably be different than last or the, the 2019 festival. We'll put in some more controls. We're, we're changing the format a little bit. But I think it's important, again, to have these goals and to put them in and work towards them. And listen, if we have to change them closer to the time, we do it in a mindful way. We do it responsibly and we do it with plenty of time so that, you know, a couple of months before I'd be giving updates as well and saying this is all going in the right direction. Or if not, and if we need to be you know, aware and, and put health first. And if we do need to change it, we, we make that call early, let people know and give them plenty of time so they're aware, reorganize their calendar. And also the early kind of call we make, and it means that we can give full refunds and we can make sure that people aren't out of pocket and they're not maybe booking holidays from work and then having to try and chop those around because time is as precious as anything else. Um, so just trying to make sure that we're focused on it, getting it out there, getting the details in the calendar. It sounds like, Simon, the, the, a fantastic modus operandi and, and a great approach to, to the festival next year. So, so fair play to you um, for that transparent 
um, honest, hardworking approach and fingers crossed, um, you know, we're all there in May and uh, we're all in a better place, uh, certainly in the middle of next year. And so, I mean, listen, best of luck over the next couple of weeks as you open up uh, registration for next year. Fingers crossed for yourself, for all the guys in IMRA, for the guys in the Dublin Mountain Trail Running Festival as well, that, um, that numbers come under control, that we can still get out and race. And, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing as well is that we can get out and train and that we can get out um, and train and run and enjoy the mountains. If worse comes to the worst and races do get cancelled, I think for me, certainly the most important is thing is that we can get out every day and run and train. And, and I think you share that philosophy, Simon, as well. Well, yeah, and I wanted to touch on something that inspired me recently on um uh, you've totally exposed me uh, in being a treadmill runner on occasion. And sometimes I'll, I'll throw on YouTube or Netflix just to make the, the miles and kilometers go a bit, bit easier. But I watched something there the other night, um, Leadman, the Dave Mackey story. And for anyone who uh, has any interest in trail running or really just in perseverance, do give it a watch. It's an incredible story. There's no spoiler in saying that Dave Mackey was an elite trail runner and he was out training one day and he slipped and the accident ended up in him losing his leg. He lost one leg. He didn't give up. He came back and he entered the Leadville 100 mile race with one leg and one prosthetic. Go and watch it. It is truly inspirational and it just shows that it's a long road back from a lot of things, but anything can happen and if you really dedicate yourself and you find the positive bits, you find the positivity and hold on to them, it's incredible what you can achieve. So on that super positive note, um, as I say at the start and the, and the end of the show, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Simon, chat to you next week, mate. Have a super weekend and enjoy all those miles. Take care. Thanks, My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Renny Borg, welcome to the show. And Renny, the first question that I'd like to ask you today, I think it's a it's a good question because it's part of the topic that we're going to cover in today's segment about recovery. So I'm going to ask you, first of all, how are the legs, Renny, after that great run that you had down in the Kerry Whale Trail? Yeah, well, they're surprisingly good. Uh, you know, I'm actually, uh, I barely believe how quickly they recovered, to be honest. Like, um, I was expecting, based on my experience from previous races, you know, of, of longer distance marathons, they would probably take a few weeks uh, before they were recovered. But uh, after, probably on day four already, uh, the soreness was pretty much gone. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but I was also saying that I was kind of looking forward to a break from running, you know, and a break from training and everything else that goes with it. So it was a bit of a surprise that in the first weekend after I was already getting itchy, you know, for to look at the next goals, get started with training again and all those things. So the body, the energy levels had come back very quickly too. Um, but I, as you know, we mentioned that you have to be careful going back too early after 
a race, you know, that quite often you can feel better than you can feel superficially better than you, you what your body is actually really ready to to do. You know, one thing is the rebalancing, which we'll talk about today. So I was lucky that I, I had to have a little bit of surgery done on the leg. I had to have a few stitches. So I'm not allowed to go back running for another week. So in a way, this it's, it's, it's I think it's a bit fortunate, actually, that my desire at the moment outstrips what I'm allowed to do. So it forces me to err a bit on the side of caution. Uh, but I am looking forward to getting back into it. Sure. Well, it's a good sign, isn't it, that you are mentally looking forward to getting back into it because that's often a sign of overtraining when, when we actually fall out of love with running. So the fact that you're looking forward to get back is a good sign, I think. And isn't it a very important topic, Rene, the whole concept of recovery and making that transition from your peak race into your new season? And if you don't get it right, the the problems that you can have can actually be very very serious and one of the reasons why we chose to speak about the whole recovery aspect and the importance of rest and recovery is it was because of a a post that was published by the very famous um swedish trail runner mimi kotka about maybe three or four weeks ago now now mimi she she destroyed fields between 2015 and 2018-19 she smashed records over in the utmb on two occasions but she published something on Instagram there three weeks ago, as I was saying, about something that she developed, um, Red S, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. And if you can just bear with me, guys, for about 60 seconds, because I thought, I thought it might be worth just reading what she published, because it certainly struck a chord with me. And, and I've seen other female athletes, other male athletes as well, win races for a couple of years and then just disappear. So just bear with me while I read this this for a second. It's time to take a break. I've poured my soul into ultra trail for the last years, but I don't race ultra very well right now. My body is empty, a dry shell. My inability to run Echapia 87K race showed me that again, I know social media is all about inspiration and those shiny golden moments but i also feel i need to talk about my problems as an endurance athlete i've been struggling with my body since late 2018 i finally connected the dots between my low immune system anemia fatigue gut problems lack of period inability to push in racing and the body running in power save mode it's red s and i've dragged myself deeper and deeper into this condition during the last number of years. Very serious problem there, Rene, isn't it? From, from poor Mimi, and we, we wish her well in her recovery, and hopefully she can get the recovery right. But it's a very good example, isn't it, of sometimes when we, when we get caught up in ultras, in, in lots and lots of racing, that we ignore warning signs. Yeah, and I think first of all, fair play to her for bringing it out there. I think if if everyone was a little bit more unfiltered on social media, I think we would all be a lot smarter for it. You know, when you only see the glossy moments, it it's just doesn't give an accurate reflection of life or of training. Uh, and I'm personally, I'm much more interested in the unfiltered version. Um, and, you know, the, what she calls red S is what used to be called the female athlete triad. 
Um, and they changed the name to Red S in the last few years because they found that men can have this condition as well. Of course, the only thing that the male athletes is they don't lose the period, obviously. Uh, but but all the other symptoms are pretty much the same. Um, and they, it's a, it's one or two things that can become a permanent career stopper, you know, apart from a permanent injury. Uh, the other thing being what people probably know as overtraining, you know, and, and overtraining is, is very similar. It's just for the people who don't know what red is, is, you know, it, it is when it, it's, it's common in sports where there is an emphasis on a low body weight um, because then you can get a situation because you spend a lot of energy in the sport. But at the same time, you're trying to maintain this very low body um, fat percentage and low body weight that you you're constantly over long periods of time, you live in a, an energy deficit. And that's basically like living in starvation mode um, and when a body lives in starvation mode over a prolonged period of time there will be a breaking point where it says I can't do this anymore and the longer you have spent in this kind of crisis state the longer it can take to dig yourself out of the hole so now hopefully for, for Mimi she she will be able to come back because there are stories where athletes who suffer either red S or the more traditional overtraining syndromes, which have to do with kind of different types of hormonal fatigue syndromes. When that happens, uh, some athletes never find their way back. Mm. And that's obviously very sad, right? Because it takes away the very thing that for a lot of, uh, for a lot of athletes, you know, we identify ourselves, whether we're professionals or not with our ability to do the sport. And not only that, it might be our keystone habit, you know, the one that all our other healthy habits might revolve around. So it can be a huge loss. Um, but how do how do you avoid that as a normal person? Um, the first and simplest thing, of course, is, you know, be very, very careful trying to lose weight and train very hard at the same time, right? That's that's the very, very first thing. You know, you, you need to be, you need to sate your body when you train. So if you're trying to, to lose weight it has to be extremely managed and not something you obsess about. So, so that that's the first thing. But there's a much broader discussion that I, th I thought we wanted to have here, which is to understand what is stress really, you know, because and how does it relate to training? And once we understand what stress is and how you manage it, how do you plan your year and your big breaks after your big races so that your body never goes too far down these um these you could say alleyways where red s is waiting and overtraining syndrome is waiting and career ending injury is waiting i think Rennie as well is in a very important to emphasize that the, the importance of having a coach having friends and family that check in on you having running buddies that you know are, are close to you as well and that can help spot these things because I, I've, I've seen it and I've nearly experienced it myself a couple of times that when you're so focused on racing well and training well, you can often become blind to what other people can very clearly see. And even say Mimi that we spoke about there, like Mimi is actually a qualified nutritionist. So she had all the training in the world. She knew what her body needed to be eating to, to fuel herself, to keep herself balanced. But she still fell into that hole. And often I think we can become very addicted to our racing and our training as well. So what advice, Rennie, would you have to athletes that when they get to the end of their big peak race, 
how can they spot the need to take a good two or three three week break? Well, first of all, if it is a very big race, so we're talking generally, you know, long races that are run hard, probably from 25 kilometers and upwards, but especially for the marathon distance and the ultra distance, it, we've said that two weeks would be the very minimum. And the, if for the cautious person, a four week transition period, as I termed it, is recommended to be on the safe side. And we also said that doesn't mean you just have to go necessarily lie on the couch for two weeks, but you need to rebalance and this, this is why I just wanted to bring a few terms on the table, because when you say rebalance, you know, what does that mean? What are you trying to balance out? So essentially, what we need to understand about training, so we know that training plus recovery, that's the training formula equals performance. So that means if you train, but you never have a period of recovery, then you never get the benefit. You just get more and more tired and more and more broken down. So this this works day to day as in if you have a hard session then obviously you cannot go usually and do a very hard session the next day the next day needs to be a bit lower and then maybe you're ready to go on the third day or, or again on the fourth day but it's similar when you look at it if you if you zoom out to the training period level so we if we go very back to the beginning of this podcast series we said that there's an early period of training which we call general where basically the goal is to purchase the materials you know so this is where we put money in the bank as they used to say uh, and when we have enough money in the account we move to the next stage of training where we do the slightly more high intensity specific training and the metaphor for this to think about it is that here we are actually taking a withdrawal from the bank account or we are spending our money to buy the materials that we need and then we put that together in the race the problem is then, just to kind of continue this metaphor to its kind of ultimate conclusion is, once you have spent this and you've done your race, you're actually at a lower ebb in many ways than you were at the start of that journey. So you have now spent all these resources. Your body is basically a bit battered. It is probably tired after this specific period of training. And it needs to be balanced out before you can hit it again with another kind of you know, another cycle of let's uh, put money in the bank, let's spend it, and etc. So what happens is that there's two systems in the body, um, in two parts of the nervous system. One is called the sympathetic, which is fight or flight, and the other is called parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. So in a healthy human body, there is a constant um, shift throughout the day between these two systems. And obviously at nighttime when you sleep, the parasympathetic is usually, unless there's something seriously wrong with you, is very dominant. You know, it totally dominates while you sleep and so you, you repair most at night. And during the day, the sympathetic nervous system is slightly more active. The problem that happens is that tr the way training works, all types of training induce this sympathetic response. And the more high intensity your training is, a race would be the ultimate, you know, that would be the ultimate uh, high intensity because it tends to be both very long and as hard as you can run for, for the duration of that particular race. So you basically, you get an enormous sympathetic stimulus, fight or flight stimulus during the last period of training and then this massive one in the race itself. That means you need to balance that out by bringing the body more into this parasympathetic rest and digest mode in the four weeks that follow. Because if you don't, what can happen is that you get stuck in sympathetic mode. And when you get stuck in sympathetic mode of fight and flight, healing does not occur. 
your digestive system doesn't work properly. So it's very easy to imagine what happens then. It means you're not getting the nutrients that you need from your food. That means you're not getting the building blocks to repair. So nothing happens. Repair processes don't really happen. So it means something that should heal, let's say, in 24, 48 hours. Two weeks later, it's still there. It's still not healed. Nothing's, nothing's going on. It's a bit like shutting down a building site. So, you know, so that, that's kind of the basic science behind it. And that's why when you rush back after a big race, you are of, you actually to, to explain this on, I should say, often when you get into this fight or flight state, usually if it's really revved up to the maximum, you tend to have a fantastic performance either in training or in the race, but usually only one. And then suddenly everything falls apart. It's like you're, you're tempted, Rennie, isn't it? They tempt you in for one more race, you get a good result, and you think you're okay. <laughs> you think you're okay to keep, to keep going. Oh, I've just done that marathon. I'll take an easy couple of days. Then I'll go again. I have enough strength for another race. I'll get another good performance. But you're, then you're stuck in the cycle, aren't you? And as you're saying, you're just going to get stuck in a rut. Yes, yeah, so that, that's why taking three, you know, the two, three, four weeks is is a safety valve against being fooled by by the hormones that are created by this you know fight or flight response because they can sometimes mask you're actually revved up to the maximum and you feel like you know you're still firing all cylinders but you're actually just about to break um, sure. And for people who might actually recognize this as businessman's flu, if you have ever heard of this on, if you've had a really bus busy um, period in work, you know, where you might have been working against a deadline for four or six weeks and you have been performing at an incredible level, sometimes, you know, you're, you're actually in a breakdown for the last two weeks, but you're just running on these fight or flight hormones in your system. And then you get a holiday and you tend to just get sick straight away and you're just lying down for a week. Yeah. So you know, and so this is why they call it businessman's flu, but it's nothing to do with the virus. It's simply that the body forces itself into parasympathetic mode to try and repair, to, you know, to to force you out of this sympathetic mode that has drained your body of all its resources before it's too late. Sure. Yeah, and then I think if you do get it right, Rennie, and you and you are disciplined enough to get that three to four week rest period, the rewards are great because then your body will get the benefit of that big body of work that you did in the previous six months. So say, for example, maybe now people are coming off a big summer race that they had as a big objective, like the Kerry Way Ultra. If they're disciplined enough to take their two or three weeks easy downtime, they get back that motivation to run. They have a good general sense of well-being. They've got a spring in their step again when they're running. If they're patient, in a couple of weeks' time, they'll smash out a great cross-country race, for example. Yeah, exactly. And it's especially important with the motivation is actually one of the, and the mood, you know, your, your psychology essentially is, is actually one of the most reliable indicators of what's going on in terms of these two systems. So when you start to have a lot of anxiety or you get a little bit uh, hyper excitable or you have a lack of motivation or you're even drifting in towards depression and anxiety, you know, they are definitive markers that you're basically stuck in this state and, and you know, you're going, you're heading towards these long-term syndromes. Um, if you if you don't pull back in time, so they they would be the psychological markers, and that actually becomes a vicious cycle because something that you know we used to think 
about stress in a very simple way. We said, okay, if you do some kind of training, it sends a, a signal to my body and then my body will do something in response to that. that. That's how we used to think. That's all there is to it. But what we've learned in the last 10 years is there's, that that's actually not key to the kingdom. When you do something, your brain, you know, you, you interpret this stressor. And the way you emotionally respond to the stressor, that's, that's the signal that gets sent to your body. And what that means in practice is that if you are very um, unmotivated, if you are very, let's say, distressed, or if you're afraid of a type of exercise, the emotional signal is different for the work that you do. And that means they have actually shown this in studies. You don't get the response you expect. You tend to get you know, a poorer response, no response from the training. So it's very important that the filter between what you're trying to put in and what you want to get out is healthy. That means that you need to be in a positive mental state. You know, there needs to be a positive emotion triggered by the training that you're doing. And you can't do that if you're always run down or if you're always anxious about a niggle that you have, you know, or whether this fatigue that you're feeling is about to spill over into something worse. And there's no, there's no magic re remedy, Rene. When you get to that point, you literally just have to take a step back, don't you? And take a holistic approach and, and work at everything. And it might actually mean taking those three to four weeks off running and as tough as it might be not to run, but as we said at the start, we want to be running for decades and not just weeks and months. So unfortunately, sometimes a little holiday break, it, it might be needed. Yeah, a bit of patience for your career, I suppose, is what a lot of us could have done with when we started. So for those who are starting now, we can do them a favor, you know, by trying to say that that's one of the greatest virtues is to have the patience to take the long view and say, if I take three weeks or four weeks now, yes, I will lose a little bit of fitness and sharpness, but that's to be expected. The season is over. Professional football is just as an example. It's the same. They don't fret about the fact that they can't play as well in off-season and the first few games of the season as they could towards the you know the the squeaky bomb time as it was you know at the end of the season uh, they don't fret about that because they know that's the name of the game and i think as amateurs we need to to start understanding that as well that it, you it's totally unreasonable to expect constant growth and constant pressure um but the good news is you don't need to be totally idle uh, you know, it, it, because some people I know have a difficulty doing nothing. Uh, they, they want to feel like they're actively doing something for themselves. Um, and during this rest period, the interesting thing is that when you have been sympathetically, in a way you could say, overstimulated, you, what you can do to bring yourself back in balance is anything that is stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. And there's actually a lot of stuff that does that. So there's a few obvious ones. Taking naps. You know, which is great fun. If you're not a, you know, if you know, if you're not a parent, you can do that sort of thing, and <laughs> it's a, it's a great parasympathetic technique. But there are others like meditation for people who enjoy that, having a massage, not a painful sports massage, but a relaxed one, having a hot tub bath, and reducing the stimulants that you take. You know, less cups of coffee, for instance. Going out, spending time in nature. You know, going for a walk, sitting in the grass, playing with your kids. Um, anything like that, spending time with friends, going to a concert, you know, all these things, they, they actually create a parasympathetic stimulus, 
And so you can do things for yourself that you might think of as idle, you know, as, as what do you say, leisure. I think because of a lot of us, the way you grow up in an industrial society, leisure is sometimes seen as a, as a bad thing. You know, you nearly feel guilty that you're taking leisure time. But leisure is is an activity that if you're an athlete, you need to learn to do because this is the, this is what triggers the repair. Sure. And wasn't then one of Kipchoge's strategies for when he broke the two hour barrier for the marathon, he actually on purposely smiled during the, the last maybe 10 kilometers. He actually just purposely set out to smile to try and trigger those hormonal reactions, those brain reactions that you're speaking about there to make his body feel more relaxed as he was coming to the end of that incredible marathon that he did. Yeah, we know that works. And it's, you know, we, we've kind of in, in Western culture, there was a period where we, we we moved towards feeling very disempowered about the ability of our own body. It was like uh, the body is this thing that can break and then you need something from the outside to fix it. But the reality is that you you are kind of nearly like a walking pharmacy in that when, it, when there is a stimulus coming in to through the body, the brain interprets that and it creates any number of hormones in response to that. Just a good example. If you give your partner a hug, uh, you know, you presume that's an enjoyable experience for you. Your body's, your brain will produce oxytocin and oxytocin has lots of good uh, results. If, if someone throws a ball at you and you get surprised, then it produces cortisol, a stress response. So essentially, we have this amazing ability to use our perception of, of what is going on to stimulate the productions of hundreds and hundreds of chemicals, you know, better chemicals than any pharmacist could give you because, you know, these come without the side effects generally, you know, they're, they're naturally built into your system. And a lot of us don't realize that we have this power, you know, they don't realize that there are many different techniques that you can use um, to basically boost yourself, you know, uh, and that's Kipchoge, a simple thing like smiling, that's what the science shows, increases um, the production of certain hormones and it increases performance. So even if you're really in pain, you know, in your next race, it's worth a shot. And it, it's a similar effect to if people give you a cheer when you're out running that, that resonates with you, you know, that just what you need to hear at a given moment, you know, you often get spurred off and then you have a bit more energy for the next period. Well, it's brilliant advice, Renny, and I think the takeaways are, to take your three to four week rest after your big race and then maybe while you're taking that um, downtime and throughout the season as well, that you stick on the comedy channel and you, you watch Jason Byrne, Des Bishop, whoever your favourite comedian might be, and that will actually help your performance in training and racing as well. Um, before we go and dial in Gavin Byrne, Rennie, we've got Gavin Byrne coming up now, the winner of the Kerryway Ultra, and I'll be asking him actually what he's doing post-race and post his big um, win as well. Anything else, Rennie, that you wanted to mention just before we head off? No, just to, the basic message really here is that the less stress you have in other parts of your life, the harder you can train and benefit, right? Take that with you as well. You, you know, understand that all stress is cumulative. So it's not just, you can never just look at the, the, the race itself that you did or the training itself that you did, you know. So often if you have been very stressed in general leading into your race, this period after a race is also maybe a good time to look at, you know, can can I reduce my overall level or is the fact that I don't have to set time aside for running now for three or four weeks, is that going to help me maybe catch up on some things and then be back on the front foot by the time my next training cycle starts? 
Okay, ready? Brilliant advice as always. I've got a smile on my face thinking of all that brilliant advice. And I'm sure that's going to help me with my run later on now as well. Uh, if anybody wants to hear more of what Rene has to say and read some of his brilliant articles that he's written over the last couple of years, you can get in touch with Rene on runningcoach.ie and on his Facebook and Instagram page as well. Rene, a big thank you as always. Enjoy the rest of the recovery and we look forward to talking to you next time. All right, thank you. For our feature interview for episode 12, we've got Gavin Byrne. Gavin Byrne, of course, won the Kerryway Ultra just over two weeks ago now. That's the second time that he's won it. And he's fresh from his appearance on Liveline, of course, on Joe Duffy. And rumour has it that he might even be on the Late Late Show this coming Friday alongside Sam Bennett. Who knows? We'll have to just wait and see. Gavin, of course, is the current record holder for the Wicklow Round with 15 hours and four minutes when once upon a time people thought it was impossible to break 17 hours Gavin went down and smashed it in just over 15 hours he had a great run last year in the TDS in UTMB in Chamonix 31st place out of 1,785 runners and he's represented Ireland on two occasions in the Trail Running World Championships in Peña Golosa and in the World Mountain Running Championships in Argentina so without further ado let's call in Gavin Byrne Gavin we don't quite have the couple of hundred thousand listeners that you had for your last interview on the Joe Duffy show on, on RTE. We, we've got about 800 hardcore trail and mountain runners looking forward to hear, hearing from you and to hear how the, the great victory went in the KUA Ultra. So Gavin, Gavin Byrne, you're very welcome to the show. Cheers, Alan. Thanks for having me. Um, well, well, listen, Gavin, speaking of Joe Duffy, first up, how did you end up on Liveline talking to Joe? Um, well, the race director, Eileen, um, she rang me and said, um, she's, well, actually, the day before Eileen rang me and she said, Kerry FM is looking to talk to you. So I didn't send you that link, but um, so Kerry FM rang me the day before and then the next day she rang me again and said, Joe Duffy's looking to talk to you. But I don't know whether she rang them or, or they got in touch with her and he just wanted to have a chat about the race, really. Joe himself called you or how did that work? No, no, the researcher just calls you, takes a few notes about where you're from and, and your age and stuff. And then uh, and then you just go straight on, li- on, on, on straight on to the live with Joe then. Wow. And I know like myself, Gavin, I love listening to the um, to the off the ball lads on News Talk. But um, yeah. a little birdie actually told me that you actually do listen to Joe yourself while you're working. <laughs> ah, no, I listen to him here and there now. And not all the times. A lot of a, uh, you'd be depressed listening to him at times, to be honest. Like, But uh, here and there, I'd, I'd, I'd slap it on to see what's going on in the world. Sure. And what's the reaction been like since, Gavin? Are people recognising you on the streets? <laughs> no, not really no but a lot of people have been texting it's some some family that i wouldn't have seen in years maybe would have texted my mother and that saying oh i heard your son there on the i heard gavin on the radio there so uh, a lot of people got in touch that wouldn't have been in touch in a long time so that was kind of nice you know yeah and i say social media i say erupted as well you know when when the oh, biggest sure. book came sure. through but really he, he ended up yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, end, you ended up talking to Joe, Gavin, after that 
great wins that, that we mentioned in the Kerry Way Ultra. But I remember talking to you just offline, just with a couple of text messages here and there, like during the summertime, just as we were kind of all coming out of lockdown and that. And, and I got the impression from you that, that you weren't too sure what you were going to race. You sounded like maybe you weren't 100% motivated to, to train, to be training 100% hard. Um, that you ruled out trying to make the Irish team for the World Championships, for example. But you managed to turn it around and produce that incredible result down in Kerry. So maybe you could talk us through how those summer months went for you and what was the turning point from not being too sure what you were going to do to getting in shape to win the Kerry Way Ultra. Yeah, well, I suppose it was strange times for everyone. Um, just being, a, being stuck to your little 2K at the start and just knocking out miles. Um, but I didn't want to go in for the Irish team this year because the uncertainty of it, we didn't, we didn't know if it was going to go ahead. And for me to try and get a place on that team, I'd have to do very specific training, a lot of speed work. Um, so I wasn't really going to, I didn't really want to commit to myself to going around the park and, and doing intervals, doing tempo runs. That's not the type of thing I wanted to do. So instead, throughout the whole lockdown, I just kind of really easy miles all the time, kind of seven, eight minute miles, just tipping around. I live enough close to the Phoenix Park, so I was happy enough to do that. So that's kind of, um, and I managed to build up a great um, aerobic engine, you know, so that's the way I kind of do things most of the time. And anyway, which would have sure. helped for and and did you think about the Kerry Way Ultra, Gav, and actually say, right, there's a race for me. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to try and go for the podium, go for the win. Because I think you've won down there before, Gavin, haven't you? Yeah, I won in 2018 um, in, in a much slower time of 26 and a half hours. Um, but once once the UTMB got knocked on the head, I basically said, look, I'll sign up for the Kerry Way and see what happens. So that was the the main goal then after the UTMB went. Sure. So, and was it the, was it the big one in UTMB, Gavin, that you had signed up for, or was it yeah. the TDS again? No, it was the big it was the, the big one now. The main one this year, I, was, I, I wanted to do. So I ne I never got to do that one. So I was I was really really looking forward to that. But I mean, it is what it is. It got cancelled. What can you do? That's 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 the way it is for everyone now. Once you got down to to carry Gavin, you were there just before the race itself, the, the, the morning of the race. Maybe talk to us, if you can, about the mindset just at the start line, because not many of us will ever run 200 kilometers in a race environment. Um, very few people have the physical strength, and um, never mind the mental strength to do it, but you've done that on, on numerous occasions now. What are you thinking when you go into a race like that? Because in last week's show, Simon, um, Simon Kelly, who was down there on the ground looking looking at the race, said that you flew off from the start, and he could tell mm -hmm. from the start that you were you were in combat mode, um, fighting for the top positions. So, how do you approach the race like that? Do you go in it to win it, Gavin, or are your thoughts just to get through it first of all? Well, for me, I decided to take this race with a bit of a different approach this time because I felt like um, I, ha I had nothing to lose going into this race. So I went down with three targets. So my first target was 
well, well, there was no specific target. There, there were in no specific order, but one target I wanted to do was I wanted to run it in under 24. Another target was I wanted to win the race. But then I suppose the top target would have been to try and beat the, the course record, which I didn't do, but no big deal. So, yeah. so like, I didn't go down there with pressure. It didn't bother me. I, I, I went in with a bit of tactics um, that I wouldn't normally do. Normally, I would start a race like 200K um, nice and easy, as like would recommend to anyone. But uh, I decided to run this one a little bit harder at the start and to, to try and put pressure on the competition that was there because I knew they'd want to run a bit harder. So I said, you know what, I'll play their game and I'll run harder. So um, that's the way I, it was like a big learning curve for me this time around. Sure. And it, it was kind of like a 5K, 5K club race, Gav, wasn't it? Because I, you must have been looking around at the start line and all the big guns were there, weren't they? Ian Keat was there. A lot of the other top guys were there as well. Just like you would in a standard kind of road race. So yeah. Does that freak you out in any way? Does that add more pressure, or do you do you just embrace the the competition on the start line? No, Does no, not anymore. It would have, it would have at the beginning, but now I'm kind of I'm used to it. Like I know what I can do when it comes to racing at that kind of distance. So I try to embrace it. Like you know, the ultra running community is quite friendly, so it's it's just yeah. good to meet and chat to people. I mean, you do have um, a slight bit of fear because. It's it's a two hundred k race at the end of the day. You don't know you don't know what's going to happen to to you or your body or so. Uh, like it's just shit chat, you know. But you do want to win, and, and uh, but at the end of the day, it's not it's not the be all and end all, you know. Yeah, and I suppose like uh, as Joe asked you um, in the interview on Liveline the other week, uh, Gavi said to you, "What was the prize?" And there's no <laughs> prize, of course. Oh, exactly. Pride, pride is the prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, is there any sense, Gav, that when you do cross the finish line first, like, would you like to see a, a prize being given? You know, would you like to see cash involved, or I don't know if, if you even got a big trophy, or, or you know, in the ultra running community, are people just happy with with getting the win? being the fastest person on the day, or, or, or do you think the, the sport that deserves a bit more? No, I think with, with the fact that there's no cash involved makes it a good sport because we're, we're there for the love, of, the love of it, you know? So um, no, no money, no big prizes is a good thing. So there's like, you're just, like it's something unique. Like, um, I mean, you get a little wooden trophy with the carry away on it. It's a unique kind of thing. So it's nice to have that. I remember, um, I remember one year when when he, um, Ian Keith actually finished third in his age category in the UTM, UTMB. He got a cowbell, and I thought that was so cool. Like I'd love to go after one of these cowbells and try and get one of them at some stage in my life, you know? Yeah, but I think you're right, Gavin, because I know from working on a couple of races in Spain and France, you know that that are say some of the top trail running races. Now, there's a little bit more money coming into it and you do see some more cash prizes but nothing like say a big marathon and a big city yeah. marathon where there actually are you know big payouts but as you said in a way that protects the sport a little bit from from the dangers 
uh, of what money can bring, um, you know, doping. And I don't mind saying this publicly. I say it privately to, to my running mates all the time. Like if I was a road marathon organizer, I just wouldn't invite Africans at the moment, for example. Um, you know, Kenyans, Ethiopians, needless to say, Russians, because of their scandalous doping past and the amount of Kenyan athletes that have tested positive um, corruption at an and a, and a official capacity within their athletics board as well. So thankfully for the moment, for the moment, trail running is protected from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fairly toxic, all right, some of them. But what can you do? That's the way it is. For sure, that, that's a story for another day. Um, but, but Gavin, listen, for, for the people who, who want to know the details of of winning a, a race like the Kerry Way Ultra. What what did you do in terms of say material that you had that you had with you on the day, shoes that you were wearing, gear that you had, nu- nutrition that you took on the day. So so maybe if we start off with the backpack, Gav, um, what was in the backpack of the winner of the Kerry Way Ultra? Uh, yeah, so for me, um, I have the little backpack, but I try I lay everything out the day before, even a couple of days before. So I have the stuff I'm going to run in, I'm going to wear on the morning, I put that to one side. And then the stuff that's going to go into the backpack, I put that to one side. And then I just stuff it all into one bag and I'll put it aside and say, and I'll say to myself, that's what I need on race day. So I'll have that. There'll be no thinking. Anything else I forget on the, before I head down to Kerry, it's forgotten about. Once I have the race day kit, that's the main thing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So, is there anything that you bring yourself, Gav, that maybe isn't mandatory? Anything that you like uh, Generally, not. No. Um, n- no. I'd have to look at the weather, and if I knew the weather was going to be reasonably good, I would just stick to the mandatory kit. I don't. I don't bring anything specific. Um, I'd probably bring um, for that way. I'd have my phone, but phone is mandatory. But um, I'd have the GPS installed on the phone just in case. Just sure. in case I get lost. But it's sorry, go ahead. Did you have M poles with you, Gav? No, no. I I I try I I try not use poles in Ireland. The last time I used poles in Ireland was um in the Kerry Way in twenty eighteen and I used them for the first forty K and I just found them in a hindrance. They were, yeah. there was too many ups and downs, the ground is too soft, so I, I got rid of them um, and haven't used them in Ireland since. So yeah. uh, I, I think it's more really for places like the Alps and the Pyrenees when they come in handy. But yeah, as you exactly. say, not in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know shoes, I mean? Gav. What were your race day shoes? I have the like I'm sponsored by Columbia, so I have the Columbia Columbia Transalp Three. So I've done a couple of races in the pair I wore already this year. So I was quite happy with them and. and this year they're a great shoe so i used them for most of it and then i switched swap, swapped um later on in the day to a columbia fkt and they're a nice shoe as well so right. a lot less crisp but a very comfy shoe and what's behind the swap gav why do you swap shoes ah uh, just like i mean the, the, the shoes get wet throughout the day and my feet, they're not exactly toughened up enough at the moment, but uh, I get a lot of blisters sometimes. So if I take off, a sh- a sh- I took off the socks and shoes, powdered them up, but I noticed a couple of blisters. So I, I bandaged them all up then, um, dried the feet, got them looking fresh. And when you put on the new pair of shoes on, it's just yeah. like, 
it's like putting on a new pair of legs sometimes for, for a while and anyway it's just yeah. you, you just don't want to get them wet again you know it's yeah. just a, a great feeling and, and I, I know from talking to Ian and Keith, um, he spoke about the Columbia gear, the the tops and the bottoms, um, and he said it was brilliant gear. Um, do you have any specific Columbia t-shirt or shorts that you wear, Gav? Or what, what, yeah, what do well, you wear? I always bring the, the I have um, the Columbia Outright jacket, and I also have a Columbia Outright um, um, trousers. So they're they're really light, but they 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 actually keep you very dry. So I always have them stuffed in the pack. But then I just have um, the, the Columbia twin skin shorts and then same with the T-shirts. Just a nice light T-shirt. That's good enough for me, you know. And uh, just try and stick to well-worn stuff. Stuff I use a fair bit um, yeah. for a race like that. Just something that I know I'm comfy in. That's sure. Uh, and yeah. say, nu- nutrition-wise, Gav, um, are you still on the, the high-five gels and the Cadbury rolls that you used to such good effect in the Wicklow round? Yeah, I'm still. I still haven't mastered in the whole nutrition thing. It's 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 such a hard thing to get on top of, like um, trying trying to keep the calories in for that kind of distance. But yeah, I, I do take the high five sachets. So every checkpoint, you're talking every checkpoint to the carry away would have been roughly about two to three hours. So every every checkpoint, I would have the two bottles filled. My crew would have the two bottles filled with water, and then a, a high five sachet into each of them. And then I was using cliff blocks. That went well up to about 14 hours. And then I just, just couldn't really take anything in. I could still drink fluids, but it was just getting less and less. And I wasn't eating as much. And it's just, I haven't found something I can eat when I'm really, really tired. Like it's, it's just, I, I don't, don't know what it is. It's just, a, man, my palate is dry. It's just, I just can't, can't seem to find something suitable for me at the moment. So, but I, I still get through it, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's a strange one, Gav, isn't it? Because it, it sounds like maybe you want to eat, but for whatever yeah. reason, your body can't. But yet, you can still keep on going for another nine or ten hours <laughs> after you get to that point where you can't take anything else in. Yeah. How does that work out? Well, I'd be taking in little bits, um, but not much, but I'm definitely uh, calorie deficient. Is that what the word like you uh, yeah. use? But um, I suppose it's just a, a bit of experience. You're just burning, I, I suppose, fat burning. I'm not, I, I wouldn't consider myself a fat burning and I'm not a big fan of the whole fat burning thing. I'd sooner burn uh, carbs and calories, you know. But um, I suppose that's what it is, maybe. Uh, like you have a few soups, but I, I st- I'd love to chat to somebody a bit, more, um, a bit more knowledgeable about all that kind of thing and see if we could come up with a solution. Um, to, 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 to consume something easy but fluids is I like fluids like flu, it's just much easier to have fluids sure like but fluids. it sounds like Gavin like whatever you're doing anyway it, it is working because you're getting all these top results whether you know it, it's running for Ireland in, in world championships the the Wicklow round record of course the, the ultra wins that you've had so, so whatever it is, it's working. And I was going to ask you this later on, but you know, maybe it's a good time to ask you now. That it, it, do you think, Gavin, that it's just this natural talent that you have, and that thankfully you, you discovered maybe by accident, whatever, five or six years ago, or is it that you're actually working really hard in training? Um, 
And that combined with the natural talent it is allowing you to do all these incredible ultra performances. Oh, I would say it would probably be more natural talent than hard work because there's a lot of lads out there doing a lot, a lot more work and a lot more harder training than I am. But I'm still lucky enough to be able to finish ahead of them most of the time or sometimes. So it would be more, yeah, it would be more natural talent than training. But I still do my 10 hours a week or, or whatever, 100k type training most weeks. But it's more easy, easy miles. And then sometimes I do a bit of a speed session. Uh, it's just enjoyable. I just enjoy going for runs. It's not about training to be the best or training to be to improve yourself. I just love getting out whenever I can and um, just for mindfulness for anything just just to get out and relax and escape life. yeah so like say for example on a Tuesday just because it's a Tuesday evening that doesn't mean it's it's, it's a Tuesday night interval session of 8 by 1k or 10 by 400 or whatever and um, you're running just according to feel pretty much all during the week yeah, I, I did run with a club a few years ago when I started training first. So I'd learned about intervals and tempos and stuff. So, But now it's just normally easy miles all week. And then every now and again, I might bust out a few 500s, 400s, 1Ks, 800s, whatever, like maybe by 6, 10, but not, 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 not like um, consistently. I wouldn't do it every week. It's, I wouldn't be like, it's Tuesday time for uh, 10 by 1K, you know. Um, yeah, kind of. and, and likewise on a Saturday, just because it's a Saturday doesn't mean that it's a tempo run down in Bushy Park or tempo run in the Phoenix Park or whatever it might be. Um, you're maybe out with the with the Inver guys, with Richard and, and Ian, just running easy and slowly around the, the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains. Yeah, exactly. We have um, I, we got a good enough group going there um, a few years ago. Me and a couple of the lads. Um, set up a little running group and just about six of us now but most of the time not um there's only two or three of us but we just go out for two hours on a saturday three hours sometimes more sometimes four or five it just depends how everyone's fixed you know um and plus um, i work shift so i like um when i'm off my uh, i only get every second weekend off so i don't want to spend like my whole weekend running like there's more to life than running if you know what i'm saying yeah sure sure but i think at the same time i know from reading a couple of interviews that you did about the wicklow round that i think for the incredible wicklow round record that you did you did put in the hours there didn't you that you were out down in wicklow planning the the quickest routes between the the was it the 26 mountain peaks and yeah, so for feet. that yeah for that one you did you did really work hard didn't you yeah yeah, we put the well any kind of free time I had midweek or weekend, not all the time now. Well, I'd, I'd head out to the trails and it'd generally be on my own. I just found it simpler. Like you weren't waiting on people. You just get in the car, drive to your point, and it was out and back. So I was doing all the time. So yeah. that was the good thing about the Wicklow round. You can head out on the route you're meant to go, but on the way back, you're looking at the route from a different perspective. So you can see on a nice clear day you might be able to see a tiny trail up through the header that you wouldn't have seen on your way there, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah. you can yeah, pick yeah, it yeah. up from a different side. Like that's The out and backs are brilliant that way, you know? Sure. And listen, we've touched on the Wickler round, Gav, and before we go back to the Kerry Way Ultra, um, 
the the record that you ran, as far as I know, it still stands. Fifteen hours four minutes. Yeah, fifteen hours four minutes thirty seconds. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's, any any desire to go back and do it again and try and get under the fifteen hours? Because I, I know you were saying that you'd love to do it before. What, what, what do you reckon for for twenty twenty one maybe? No, I can't see myself coming back to do it. I'll have to. Uh, I mean, it's somebody else's turn to step up to the plate and and come out and say I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a bash of the record. So I'll wait till someone else uh, gets close to it or, or or tries, and then then maybe I'll go back. So I'll wait and sure see. Sure. Well. See who can raise the bar and then raise yeah. it again. Uh, and just in case anybody that's listening isn't aware of what Gavin did, uh, the previous record holder was Ian Keat, um, the, the legend of, of ultra running in Ireland. And f- for many years, people thought that it was impossible to break 17 hours. Now, 17 hours was eventually broken. But then Gavin came along and ran 15 hours and four minutes and just smashed the, the record. Um, so it's an incredible record. And it looks like it's going to stand for a long time unless somebody really gets out and puts in the hard work and, uh, and can break that incredible 15 hours, four minutes. Gavin, it, it was brilliant. Um, but it's a, another brilliant performance was we, we started talking about it at the start of the interview that the Kerry Way Ultra, I, I'd love to go back to it, Gav, because... Yeah. With so many, with so many races cancelled this year, the Kerryway Ultra up until the last week, they weren't sure if it was going to go ahead or not. So maybe just talk to us, Gav, about the race itself, the atmosphere as you were getting through the two hundred kilometers, the, the scenery down there. Um, I imagine it was just a great day. Yeah, it was a great day. It was it was a lovely clear morning. No rain was brilliant. And so we started, we started at 10 past seven. So there would have been groups of 15 starting from, I think, 5.30 a.m. So, and then every 10 minutes, it was a group of 15. So I started in the last group with the likes of Ricky, Sean Clifford, Ian Keith, and a good few others. So we started off and we all beeped and headed out. But before I knew it, I, I was at the front of the group 15 and there was no one with me. So I slowed down a bit. I wanted p- people with me. So eventually, then uh, um, Ricky caught up with me, um, and and he 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 he's known for going fairly hard, let's say, during these races at the start. So the two of us pushed on, and I still had my target. Realistically, my target was to was to try and, and beat the course record, but, um, and and I was well ahead of the record all the way up to Sneem. I think I was forty eight minutes ahead of the record, but then. Um, uh, it faded away quite quick after that then I cut my leg and, and I had to sit down and then once I started sitting down I started to um, I started to die of death really to be honest I just couldn't couldn't really get the running legs going again so it was um, a bit of a march to the finish but but um, so that's the way that was but during and, the race did, though, did you get a visual gab on any of the guys getting close to you or were you getting word that they were getting close how, how did you handle that no, so me and um, Ricky, we ran all the way to um, Glen, um, I think it was Glen Carr together. So that would have been maybe 40-ish K. Uh, and then he had, st- I'd, I was quite prepared my crew quite easily. I just said to them, have have this ready and I'll give you this and then I'm gone. So when we, it was Robbie Williams from um, Mimra Munster Mountain. He was, um, he was uh, my crew man, him and Kev. So... 
so they were well clued in. They knew what to do. They just had two bottles ready. I took the bottles, took my cliff blocks, and I was gone. So that was at the second checkpoint or third checkpoint, maybe, or second checkpoint. So I, I started to push on then from second place after that. And um, I hadn't seen him then. I didn't see him at all. didn't see anyone else then for the rest of the day from 40-ish K. Uh, I led the race from start to finish. But um, I'd managed to pass all the half-five starters and up. I had passed all of them within um, about five hours 30. So it was um, a good few hours on my own out there, you know? Yeah. But, and when you did get to the finish line, Gav, and get, you, you got the win, um, how were you then? Were you, were, you, were you lucid enough to be able to enjoy it? Or did you just need a better uh, stage? Like normally when I finished when I finished most races like the TDS or or the Wicklow Round, I normally have a bit of um, a bit of a bit of bite in me to wave my hands and happy days, be excited. But this this this, this year I wasn't. That's the lesson. I, that's what I was trying to teach myself by going hard to see how 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 well I would last. But I I I left it all out there. There was nothing left at the finish to be honest. But um, yeah, it was just a big learning curve for me. To, sure, to, sure. but it was great though the race because every, most people had a crew um, so there was hundreds of crews on the, on the route with lots of people you know and they all had the camper van so when you were reaching checkpoints like foil more I would have been the first runner they seen for the day and the leader of the race so it was like being in the in the UTMB you were getting huge cheers and everything so <laughs> that, that was giving me a big lift you know so it was great like yeah, well, I remember one great memory, Gavin, that I have of you is over in Argentina when you were finishing um, your race in the World Mountain Running Championships uh, down in the depths of Argentina, down towards the, the south of the South, south American continent in La Langostura, where we were. I think that one was after maybe, was it just over 45 kilometers maybe? And you were coming yeah. into the village and, you know, you, you had a big smile on your face. You had the Irish flag flying and, uh, you know, a couple of the squad members were there. And it was just a lovely moment, I remember. And you, you can oh, see that you enjoy what you do. Yeah, it was great. That was a great one, actually. That was, uh, yeah, ah, we love it. We wouldn't be there if we didn't. You know, that was, uh, that was we were lucky enough to go to that one. That was a brilliant trip at the Argentina. Yeah. 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 Um, but but tell me, Gavin, how has the how's the recovery gone? Say over the last ten days, because um, I, I think there's more and more focus nowadays on the recovery post ultra and and trying to get it right. Because I know from talking to a couple of friends who have just recently done say FKT attempts, big ultras, that the recovery can be quite tricky. Um, one friend I was talking to this week was saying that he was having trouble sleeping after he did his big um, FKT, that it can leave, it can leave a, a massive you know, effect on the body, physically, mentally, hormonally. How's your own body doing after winning and finishing 200 kilometers? Yeah, well, the first few days are obviously the worst, because, like, I mean, it's like, it's like really, really bad jet lag, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so... So when we finish on Saturday morning, like you're just going into bed, you're in bed for two hours really after a good wash or whatever, into bed. But I mean, you're you're not. It's like it's like you're hallucinating while you're sleeping. You're awake, but you're asleep, kind of thing. Um. So we get up early enough, and 
like you're just walking around like a zombie for for a few hours and then back into bed. Um, but that was the, that's the first day. But the the, the leading the days after then, yeah, you kind of wake up in the middle of the night. You can wake up craving sugar, craving water. You're waking up at random times all the time. That's only for the first few days. And once the once the um the limp and the stiff muscles um die down a bit, you can get back out and. And, uh, and just movement, walking around. I enjoy walking around. Went to the hills a bit just for walks, not runs. Um, I live beside the Phoenix Park, so a bit of time in there. But just general rest, just stay away from the running. I've no, uh, no drive to run. No point in rushing back to things. I'm not going to lose any fitness. But, uh, yeah, just try and get the calories back in, get the fluids back in, and get back to feeling good. So this week has been much better now. I'm back running now, so... Yeah, a, a simple balanced approach, Gavin. You know, because again, a lot of people I think they struggle with actually not running. They they nearly yeah. have this addiction to have to run every day, don't they? And so to be able to just take those couple of days off, um, it, it works wonders. And and I, I know from talking to Rene on our training slot as well that he's a big believer in just actually just walking, walking for a couple of days, and that can do wonders for the body. It just keeps the blood circulating. It just empties out all the crap that builds up over 200 kilometers, and that you don't need to spend a fortune on protein recovery drinks or whatever it might be, and just basic walking will help get you back. That's it, yeah, that's, that's, that'll do me, you know. I, I, I've no drive to go back running straight away. You're only going to do yourself worse damage in the long run, like, I know some lads will be back out within two or three days doing yeah. jobs, but that's not for me. No, thanks. Sure, sure. But I know that you might be in rest mode now, but I'm sure, Gavin, that that, that drive that you have will come back eventually. Um, what is it that you think will motivate you once you do get back out running? Is it to get a green jersey on again? Is it to get back over to UTMB? Uh, you had a great run there last year in the TDS, 31st out of over 1,700 runners. and um, You've been in the top 75 in the, in the World Championships. I'm sure you'd love to maybe get in the top 50. Um, more race wins in Ireland, maybe. What is it? What is it that you think will, will motivate you next? Well, eventually it'll just click, and I'll, like for for to get running again, it won't take me long till I'm back out running, maybe five or six days a week. But I'm happy enough doing that. But eventually, then I'll just find a challenge somewhere. Be it um, I'm kind of already eyeing up a winter challenge, but so we'll see. It depends on how COVID goes. If COVID still um, is still the way it is now, I'll do my winter challenge. But if I can get back racing, there's a race in the UK I'd love to do in December. So I'm hoping to do that maybe, but I can't see that happening, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just find something that I want to do and and I'll just focus on that for a few weeks. And uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. In the meantime, Pat Kenny might be on maybe. But it's been a brilliant talk and thanks for being just so, so open and honest and, and it's great to hear somebody that has achieved so much and, and won so much just have such a balanced approach to life. Because listen, I'll admit it myself that I've sometimes been overly focused and um, overly stressed maybe about races and trying to get fit. So it's refreshing to, to hear you so relaxed and just 
sound common sense approach and, and, and it works so well for you um, maybe this last question Gavin before we go it's something that, that I'd like to ask everybody um, what's your favourite place to train in? Oh good question I suppose oh, well most of our training is done around Wicklow but there's a little route we like to do a few, a few of the lads me and the lads too which we call it the Crown Jouse Crown, Marlin, Jouse, Marlin route. It's it's from Crown Woods there in Wicklow. So we head up straight up Marlin, over along to Jouse, and back over Marlin and back to Crown. So it's only about it's about a, it's a ten mile run with with one thousand meters of a uh, fert. So um, that's so uh, we love doing that quite regularly. But there's there's so many out there. It's hard to it's hard to pick. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, listen, Gavin, thanks a million for your time today, Gavin. Good luck with the recovery. Say hello to all the training buddies, to Ian and Richard and all the Inware guys. That they're all super trail and mountain runners as well. So big hello to everybody. And, Gavin, we look forward to hearing about your next adventure, which I'm sure when you do decide what it will be, you'll smash it, as you always do. So, Gav, thanks a million. Cheers, Alan. Talk to you again soon. Thanks. Well, what a super guy, Gavin Byrne, and imagine what he could do if he actually did get some of that professional nutritional advice that he was talking about and even line up one of those professional trail running coaches out there. He's achieved so much off his own relaxed approach and I'm looking forward to seeing what Gavin can do over the next couple of years. And one thing that I think we learned from talking to Gavin is that he'll be running with a smile on his face and he'll continue to make all of us smile too. Whether it's breaking records or not, whatever the future may hold for one of Ireland's most talented runners indeed. That's it, everybody, for episode 12. Nearly time to get the running gear on and head out for a run. And before we do so, just a reminder again that we are on the lookout for a show sponsor to help keep us going over the autumn and winter months. We've got a super loyal listener base who show great support to the show every week with over 5,300 followers on our Trail Running Ireland social media channels. So if you'd like to see your event, your product, or your company get some super exposure to the trail and mountain running, community in ireland don't hesitate to get in touch in the meantime everyone let's get our running gear on let's go